0: have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. And here we are, indeed. Thanks for joining us tonight. We are going to move from the Old Testament now back to the New Testament. We read the book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, two remarkable books about life. We backed up and took a look at the principles of life and some of the foundational experiences of life. Suffering, for example, in the book of Job, sin and suffering, are they totally correlated? When you sin, you suffer? No, that's not the way things work in this world because there is another dynamic at work. This is not the place of final judgment. This is the place of harvest. This is the place where God is calling out a people for himself. And in that context, sometimes we see good people suffer. Sometimes we see evil, wicked people prosper. That goes along with the times we are living in and with the purposes of God in these times as well. He's calling people out of these experiences, and he uses both suffering and success, both pain and pleasure, to accomplish his purposes and that is ultimately and primarily to call us into a relationship with himself. So the primary purpose of God in this life is not that we be good. That's part of his purpose, of course, that his people be good. But before that, his purpose for humanity is that we be his. Then he, by his grace and power, will see to it that we become good. Well, that being said, now we go back to the New Testament. In the full light of Messiah having come, the promised Redeemer has come, The redemptive work has been carried out faithfully and successfully by the Son of God, the Messiah. And now the gospel of light and truth and freedom is spreading across the Roman Empire like a wildfire. And we're going to read the Pauline epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and so on. Right now, though, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment. We're going to pick up in the Proverbs. We were in chapter 22 when we last visited the Proverbs, in the second half of that on the Bible Life. Proverbs 22, 17 through 29. Listen to the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my instructions. For it is good to keep these sayings deep within yourself, always ready on your lips. I am teaching you today, yes, you, so you will trust in the Lord. I have written 30 sayings for you, filled with advice and knowledge. In this way you may know the truth and bring an accurate report to those who sent you. Do not rob the poor because they are poor, or exploit the needy in court. For the Lord is their defender. He will injure anyone who injures them. Keep away from angry, short-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Do not co-sign another person's note or put up a guarantee for someone else's loan. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. Do not steal your neighbor's property by moving the ancient boundary markers set up by your ancestors. Do you see any truly competent workers? They will serve kings rather than ordinary people. End of reading Proverbs 22, 17-29. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollars. closely to his Let's give you quickly an introduction to the book of Galatians, the first five chapters. This book was written very early somewhere about 49 A.D. from Antioch, prior to the Jerusalem Council in A.D. 50. We read about it in Acts chapter 15... One of the major controversies in the early church was the relationship of new believers, particularly Gentile, non-Jewish believers, to the Jewish laws and to the Jewish religious traditions. This was especially a problem for the converts and for the young churches that Paul founded on his first missionary journey. So Paul wrote to give a correct view and understanding of how we approach God and what relationship that had to the former revelation that God had given to and through the people of Israel later at the Council of Jerusalem, this conflict was officially resolved. The Bible line, Galatians 1:1 through 5:1. Galatians 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group or by human authority. My call is from Jesus Christ himself and from God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending greetings to the churches in Galatia. May grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That is why all glory belongs to God through all the ages of eternity. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who in His love and mercy called you to share the eternal life He gives through Christ. You are already following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who twist and change the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, who preaches any other message than the one we told you about. Even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message, let him be forever cursed. I will say it again, if anyone preaches any other gospel than the one you welcomed... Let God's curse fall upon that person. Obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I am trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I solemnly assure you that the good news of salvation which I preach is not based on mere human reasoning or logic. For my message came by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. No one else taught me. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted the Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. I was one of the most religious Jews of my own age, and I tried as hard as possible to follow all the old traditions of my religion. But then something happened. For it pleased God in His kindness to choose me and call me, even before I was born. What undeserved mercy! Then he revealed his son to me so that I could proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When all this happened to me, I did not rush out to consult with anyone else, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. No, I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. It was not until three years later that I finally went to Jerusalem for a visit with Peter and stayed there with him for fifteen days. And the only other apostle I met at that time was James, our Lord's brother. You must believe what I am saying, for I declare before God that I am not lying. Then after this visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us now preaches the very faith he tried to destroy. And they gave glory to God because of me. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Galatians 2. Then, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. And Titus came along, too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I talked privately with the leaders of the church. I wanted them to understand what I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure they did not disagree or my ministry would have been useless. And they did agree. They did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question wouldn't have come up except for some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who came to spy on us and see our freedom in Christ Jesus. They wanted to force us, like slaves, to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to listen to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the good news for you. And the leaders of the church who were there had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. They saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the good news to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter for the benefit of the Jews worked through me for the benefit of the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as the pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles, while they continued their work with the Jews. The only thing they suggested was that we remember to help the poor, and I have certainly been eager to do that. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him publicly, speaking strongly against what he was doing, for it was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians, who don't bother with circumcision. But afterward, when some Jewish friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of what these legalists would say. Then the other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was influenced to join them in their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the good news, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles obey the Jewish laws you abandoned? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. And yet we Jewish Christians know that we become right with God, not by doing what the law commands, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be accepted by God because of our faith in Christ, and not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be saved by obeying the law. But what if we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then find out that we are still sinners? Has Christ led us into sin? Of course not. Rather, I make myself guilty if I rebuild the old system I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, I realized I could never earn God's approval. So I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So I live my life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not one of those who treats the grace of God as meaningless. For if we could be saved by keeping the law then there was no need for Christ to die. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Galatians 3. Oh foolish Galatians, what magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message you heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You have suffered so much for the good news. Surely it was not in vain, was it? Are you now going to just throw it all away? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of Moses? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God. So God declared him righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are all those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would accept the Gentiles, too, on the basis of their faith. God promised this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. And so it is. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all these commands that are written in God's book of the law. Consequently, it is clear that no one can ever be right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. How different from this way of faith is the way of law, which says, If you wish to find life by obeying the law, you must obey all of its commands. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through the work of Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham. And we Christians receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that it doesn't say that the promise was to his children, as if it meant many descendants. But the promise was to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received only by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. Well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. But this system of law was to last only until the coming of the child to whom God's promise was made. And there is this further difference. God gave his laws to angels to give to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is needed if two people enter into an agreement. But God acted on his own when he made his promise to Abraham. Well then, is there a conflict between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could have given us new life, we could have been made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin. So the only way to receive God's promise is to believe in Jesus Christ. Until faith in Christ was shown to us as the way of becoming right with God, we were guarded by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until we could put our faith in the coming Savior. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. So now, through faith in Christ, we are made right with God. But now that faith in Christ has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. So you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all Christians. You are one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. Galatians 4. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves great wealth for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were slaves to the spiritual powers of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. And now you can call God your dear Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. And now that you have found God, or should I say now that God has found you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual powers of this world? You are trying to find favor with God by what you do or don't do on certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. I am afraid that all my hard work for you was worth nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles were, free from the law. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news of Christ. But even though my sickness was revolting to you, you did not reject me and turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me, as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful spirit we felt together then? In those days I know you would gladly have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Those false teachers who are so anxious to win your favor are not doing it for your good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay more attention to them. Now it's wonderful if you are eager to do good and especially when I am not with you. But, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I am going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. How I wish I were there with you right now, so that I could be more gentle with you. But at this distance, I frankly don't know what else to do. Listen to me, you who want to live under the law. Do you know what the law really says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of His promise. Now these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Hagar, the slave wife, represents Mount Sinai, where people first became enslaved to the law. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery. But Sarah, the free woman, represents the heavenly Jerusalem, and she is our mother. That is what Isaiah meant when he prophesied, Rejoice, O childless woman! Break forth into loud and joyful song, even though you never gave birth to a child. For the woman who could bear no children now has more than all the other women. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. And we, who are born of the Holy Spirit, are persecuted by those who want us to keep the law. Just as Isaac, the child of promise, was persecuted by Ishmael, the son of the slave wife. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the family inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, obligated to the law. We are children of the free woman, acceptable to God because of our faith. Galatians 5 So Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. End of reading Galatians 1-1 through 5-1 Amazing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved our like me this is the bible lie. Thou, thou shalt not, not go away all right grace like rain is falling down that's the principal theme of the book of galatians freedom is a co-theme grace that has set us free so many people still have trouble with this concept We keep wanting to somehow make our relationship with God something that we earn, that we deserve, that we have to struggle for and jump through hoops for so that we can earn the relationship with God. Whether we call it the Ten Commandments or any other set of rules and regulations and behaviors and attitudes, we keep wanting somehow to make our human effort a part of the formula before we can be rightly related to God. This is the most mind-boggling, the most astounding aspect of the salvation that God gives to us. He invites us into the relationship with himself to become his children, to become his people, to become his servants, to be made one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are being brought into that oneness with the Godhead and with each other as God's people And it is not because we deserve it or we are so good. It's because we desire it and by faith are willing to receive the free gift of forgiveness and cleansing through justification, through regeneration. God makes us positionally, legally right with him. He satisfies the just demands of a holy and righteous God. Which we could never satisfy. That's why a works-based relationship with God will never work. No one would ever be saved because no one is ever going to reach that level of moral perfection. So God has accomplished that for us through the Messiah who came and atoned for our sin and became the firstborn of a new race of human beings, the twice-born, a new creation, a new beginning. But the work of redemption did not end on the cross. He has written his law now on our hearts and in our minds. Now we are living, and the Spirit of God is activating that in each of us in a process called sanctification. It's the process of becoming what you already are. The idea of walking and living and experiencing a relationship with God by grace through faith is not new to the New Testament. It was always the means of salvation. No one has ever earned their way into God's presence by keeping the Ten Commandments. Not Moses, not Abraham, not any of the Old Testament. God's plan is always a plan of freedom and a gift of grace. Even way back in Jeremiah chapter 31, God says, This is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their heart. I will be then their God and they will be my people this is a change that was predicted by jeremiah akin to the new birth god has put the desire to love him and serve him in our heart the bible live with Soapy Dollar. sophie, sophie reads from the new living translation by kindle house publishers the bible live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across america and your prayers and financial support are needed, please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars.